0: I am Pastor Michael, and the title of the sermon today is How to Read the Bible. And I want to begin by making a case for why the Bible is vital, why it's essential to the Christian life. And it is vital because it is Speaking to us, it is the very words of God and therefore it is the only way, the only way that we can have a personal relationship with him. You know, a lot of people will say, well, I get that from nature. When I go out into nature, when I'm walking in a beautiful redwood forest or along the seashore, I feel close to God. You know, and that's how I have a relationship with Him. Now, the Bible says that you can know something about God through His creation, through nature, but it's limited. And it's a lot like sitting in a Tesla. You know, imagine you get into a brand new Tesla and you're admiring the dashboard, you're feeling the texture of the seats, And you say to yourself, I'm having a personal relationship with Elon Musk right now. I feel like I really know him. But the truth is, and we all know, that you don't have a relationship with anyone unless they speak with you. (laughs) Right? Words have to flow. There has to be a torrent of communication, not only for for there even to be a relationship, but for that relationship to grow and to flourish, why should it be any different with God? If you want to know Him, if you want a personal relationship with Him, you have to listen to Him speaking to you in His Word. Because God is not silent, but He speaks. And if He speaks, then how do we listen? How do we listen well? And so that's our text today. We're doing a sermon series in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going chapter by chapter. And in Deuteronomy chapter five, we've looked at this now for several weeks. Moses goes back to the story of Israel at Mount Sinai. And there's a lot going on in the text. Uh, We see Moses as the mediator between God and man. That's a major theme. We actually looked at this in depth two weeks ago. But alongside of that, Moses gives a set of instructions on how we are to listen, how we are to read the Word of God. And so that's our text. Um, If you could turn with me in your bulletins or follow along on your screens, I'm going to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. These words... The Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick dark darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice? of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived. Go near and hear all, they're speaking to Moses, right? Go near and hear all that the Lord will say and speak to us and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me, to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me. And I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess." This is the Word of God. So from this text, uh, we learn five things, uh, five points of guidance on how to read the Bible. And this is my outline. They are number one, do not add or subtract. Number two, do not turn to the right or to the left. Number three, walk on the path. Number four, be careful. And then finally, the path is a person. The path is a person. All right, so number one, do not add or subtract. So look back at the beginning, verse 22. Moses is describing the scene. God speaks out of the midst of the fire. And then Moses adds this. In the middle of the verse, he says, and then he added no more, meaning no more, no more words. And this little phrase, this little refrain, echoes goes um, several other places in Deuteronomy that says exactly the same thing. So for example, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2, we looked at this I think a couple of months ago. You listen to this, you shall not add to the word that I command you nor take away f- take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Or listen to Deuteronomy 12:32. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. So there it is. Don't add, don't subtract. What does that mean? It means that God's word does not ever need revision or updating so that you can never add to it new insights, you know, new developments from our culture to improve upon it. And you can never subtract from it and take, take out the bad parts that we now realize are outdated because the Bible is not a product of the human imagination, but it is divine. And it comes from God and therefore it is perfect. You see, every other human endeavor, no matter how brilliant or creative, in the end has flaws. So consider, for example, the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution is arguably the greatest piece of political writing that has ever been written. Maybe we're a little bit biased being Americans. right? It reflects the best thinking of its day. I think a good case can be made that 250 years of American prosperity is owing in large part to the stability of government that the Constitution has given to us. And yet we know that the Constitution has profound flaws. Most notably, it sanctioned slavery. There's that notorious clause that counted enslaved Africans as three-fifths of a human being. And therefore, it needed revisions. We had to make amendments we have to make many amendments. Sometimes we have to make amendments to fix previous amendments, right? If you know the history of Prohibition. We should not be surprised by this because the Constitution is a work in progress. It is merely a human document and therefore it suffers all the limitations of fallen humanity. Or let me give you another illustration. My uh, family subscribes to Disney Plus. It's great. And the uh, What's really interesting is watching some of the old Disney movies from the 1950s and the 1960s. You have to dig around a little bit to find them. And uh, when you watch them, there are certain scenes where you're cringing and it's embarrassing to watch. And in fact, in a lot of those movies, I don't know if you've seen this, they've put disclaimers, apologizing for this, saying, we're sorry that you know, for the offensive material. So what's going on here? Well, let me tell you, the Walt Disney Company is not an edgy, avant-garde film studio. They are thoroughly a mainstream film company, okay? And so watching their movies, their old movies, is a lot like opening a time capsule. It's this snapshot of the cultural moment in which they were made. And now, 50 years later, we look back at these old movies and we shake our heads in disapproval at how backwards and misguided so many of their values and perspectives were. But do you know what that means? That means that 50 years from now, our grandchildren will look at the, the, the mainstream movies of our day They'll go back to the archives and watch the old Marvel films and Star Wars movies and the uh, Disney animated films that are, are, are cultural hits right now, and they will cringe and they will be aghast at how blind and foolish we are because, hear me now, every generation suffers from blindness and the shortcomings of the cultural moment in which we find ourselves in. Why should our generation be any different? And therefore, don't you see, we need a timeless, eternal word that comes from God that's perfect, that transcends every culture, and that can speak to every culture. And therefore, don't you see how backwards it is to apply modern culture to critique the Bible? That's completely backwards. We need to use the Bible to critique modern culture because every culture is shifting. Every culture is in transition. It's a a work in progress. But we need a foundation that never moves upon which to build our lives. What is that? Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Jesus Christ said, Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. So that's the first point. Don't add or subtract. You cannot update revise scripture because it comes from God. Number two, do not turn to the right or to the left, look with me down at verse thirty two Moses says um, you shall not i 'm sorry you shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left and so the image here is that you 're walking along a path, and this path is following and keeping the scriptures. But what this text tells us is that it's a very narrow, it's a very exact path. Because if you turn to the right or to the left, it takes you off the path. And so what does this tell us? It tells us that there's not a lot of discretion here, <laughs> right? There's, not, there's no room for independent thinking on which way you should go Because the scriptures give us a very specific set of instructions on how you are to live your life, and you can't deviate from that. Now, this is where a lot of modern people have problems, you know, and they resent this. And, you know, for a lot of people, they like the Bible as a collection of inspirational quotes, a sort of compendium of spiritual advice that you can turn to in times of need but you can take it or leave it. But this whole idea that the Bible are these non-negotiable rules that dictates your life really rubs people the wrong way. But let me give you another way to think of it. And here, let me use an illustration that Tim Keller uses. Tim Keller is a, a Bible teacher. And he says that one way to think of the Bible is that It's the owner's manual. It's the owner's manual to the human life. And so think of this illustration, right? Imagine that you get yourself a brand new car. And in the brand new car, it comes with this owner's manual. So you sort of flip through the owner's manual. You peruse it. But you decide to throw it away. You say, no one can tell me what to do. The owner's manual says, I need to get regular oil changes I need to do maintenance and tune-up. Forget all of that. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to forge my own way. The owner's manual says, I need to keep coolant in the car. No coolant for my car, right? And so what's going to happen? Well, in very short order, your car is going to break down and you're going to severely damage your engine. And so let's say you go to the dealership. And you say, what gives? You sold me a defective car. What will the dealership say? They will say to you, why didn't you follow the owner's manual? You didn't design the car. You didn't build the car. You, By your actions, you're disrespecting the maker of this car. You see, God created human beings. It's his design. It's his creation. And the Bible is his owner's manual. And in the Bible, we're given a very specific set of instructions about human sexuality, about how we are to relate to money, how we are to speak the truth in all circumstances, how we are to forgive our enemies, how we are to take a day of rest once a week. And the Bible says, if you disregard the owner's manual, if you consistently violate the rules then sooner or later you will experience a catastrophic breakdown in your life and eventually you will die because you are violating your design. You are disrespecting your maker. I want you to understand the Bible is not trying to constrict your life. The Bible is showing you a life that leads to fullness of joy and human flourishing. Look with me down at verse 33. It says, You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. It's for your flourishing. It's for your good. So do not turn to the right or to the left, but follow all of the instructions. Do not deviate. Third point, we are to walk on the path. So this whole you know, concept of walking is probably the most frequent metaphor in the Bible for the Christian life. There must be at least a hundred references to this. Let me just give you a couple. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We walk by faith, not by sight. Romans 8, 4. Walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And we see it again in verse 33 in our passage. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. So let's think about this metaphor of walking. And it's a really profound image. And it tells us a couple of things. First of all, it tells us, you know, you know, think about walking. It tells us that the Christian life is not just listening to the Bible in a passive way. It's not just coming to, you know, lectures on a Sunday. But it is this active, lived out obedience and doing. The imagery here is not that we are sitting on the sidelines watching the road, but the text tells us that we are to walk on the road. Do you understand? James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So we're not just listening, we are doing the word. That's the first thing. The second thing is notice that walking is not an extreme activity. In fact, it's rather non-dramatic and quite mundane so that everyone can do it. Because think about it, if the imagery was you have to do sprints on the road, then the Christian life would be a matter of intense bursts of energy, but you couldn't sustain it very long. Or if the imagery is do cartwheels on the road, well, that's a specialized skill and only a few select people could do it. But walking, walking is an everyday activity. It's this rhythmic motion that is actually rather slow. But, the, but here's the key, you can do it for a long, long time. And in fact, you can travel great distances by walking. But here's the thing, in the moment, it doesn't seem like you're getting very far. It doesn't seem altogether impressive. But over a long, long period of time, if you're persistent, if you're consistent with it, you will cover enormous distances by walking. And so the text is telling us that the Christian life is not a sprint, but it's walking. It's faithfulness every day, day in and day out, in season and out of season. I really love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And therefore, this is why you need to be in the Word every day. One of the, uh, the best books I've read these past several years is Atomic Habits by James Clear. I noticed that um, it's still on the bestsellers list for two years running now. It's a fantastic book. And in the book, he says that, you know, a lot of people think that life change happens through these dramatic moments. But he says, actually, life change happens through these microscopic improvements that you repeat every day. And these are what we call habits. And what happens with habits is that over a long period of time, if you are consistent with them, the effect, the the, the positive impacts of them accumulate and they begin to snowball. So that in the short run, it looks like nothing is happening. But in the long run, you will experience life transformation. Life transformation. So it is with the Christian life. If you want to change, you need to develop a lifelong habit of reading the Word. And it needs to be a steadfast commitment. Because you're going to experience dry spells. You're going to experience seasons where the Bible doesn't seem very relevant to your life. But you need to persevere. You need to endure and endure and only after a long, long period of time, at the end of your life, after years and years of this, you will bear the fruit of righteousness that comes from God. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, listen to this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So that's the the third thing. We are to um, we are to meditate. We are to study. It's an intense activity. Number four, we are to be careful. Look look again at verse uh, thirty two. It says, "You shall be careful." We are to be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. So that's an interesting um, advice or interesting guidance here. We are to read the word carefully. The Hebrew word there is shamar. And shamar literally means to guard, to watch. So what does it mean to watch how you read? And I think it's helpful here to look at the parallel passage in Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, God comes to Joshua, and he gives him a set of instructions that very much mirrors and echoes uh, many of the same themes that we see here in Deuteronomy. So let me read to you Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. It's actually a fairly famous passage. Let me listen. Be strong and courageous, being careful, that's the word shamar, to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, sounds familiar, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So to read carefully here means to meditate on the scriptures. It's not, not just read the Bible, but we are to meditate on the Bible. And this word meditate, I think, is a really interesting word. It's the Hebrew word haga, and it literally means to chew. And it describes the way that a cow or an animal eats, right? Chewing the grass. And it's this really wonderful imagery, right? A cow chewing grass, Um, Because the Hebrew, what I love about the Hebrew language is that it actually doesn't have any abstract words, uh, but it uses these um, concrete metaphors and, and vivid imagery to convey meaning. And so what does it mean to chew the word? To chew the word. It means that we don't just read the Bible the way we read so, much, so many other things in our lives. You know, I feel like the internet has made us all collectively dumber. So that we're all just constantly scanning articles. We're just trying to get the gist. And we're really reading on the surface. But when you read the Bible, you're not just scanning for information. You're not just looking for the occasional spiritual pick-me-up. But the goal... The goal is life transformation. And you can't get there on the cheap. You can't draw out the spiritual nutrients from the Bible unless you really chew. And so think about the way a cow eats. It doesn't just bite and swallow, but it chews and chews, right? It really labors at it. And so you can't just skim on the surface of scripture, reading a verse here or there, but it really requires time and effort. You have to read and reread. You have to ponder, what does this text mean? What is it saying to me? How do I apply this to my life? And the goal is to bring the Bible from the periphery of your life into the center so that it becomes the controlling power of your life. Psalm 119, verse 11, which is, the, which is the next verse after the call to worship passage, verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying that he has taken God's word And he has so woven it into his heart that it has become a part of him. It has become hidden within him. And it begins to reshape his values, his desires. And from there, sin begins to look not only foolish, but actually repulsive, repugnant. That's the goal. Or think about it this way. Imagine one day... You get a love letter. Suppose you, you know, how would you treat a love letter that you receive from someone that you're madly in love with? Would you just sort of casually glance at it? Would you read it carelessly with boredom, like it's some sort of chore? No! You would read it carefully. right? You would parse every word, every sentence, I what I wonder what they mean by this. I wonder what they mean by that. And you would read and reread. You would savor every word. What are you doing? You're chewing on it. You're meditating on it. Do you understand? Do you understand the astonishing central claim of the Bible? Is that you and I we can have a personal relationship with the Creator God based on His real communication with us. Because God is not some distant cosmic deity, silent and unknowable, but God is near, and He has set His affections on us. We are the apple of His eye, and He wants a love relationship with us. And so He communicates to us. He's speaking to us all the time, voluminously, in His Word. Will we not listen to Him? Will we not read His Word? Now, before I go on to my last point, let me just add this final thing, which is that every time I preach on reading the Bible, um, a great number of people feel convicted You know, they feel burdened and they'll say to themselves, from now on, that's it. I'm going to read the Bible 30 minutes a day. That's going to be my new habit in life. And that's great. But let me tell you that if you barely touch your Bible right now, reading 30 minutes a day is setting yourself up for failure. So let me give you some very practical advice, okay, which is... I want you to read just five minutes a day. Five minutes. Everyone in this park, everyone at home can do five minutes a day. And the key is to do it consistently. Do it every day with very few exceptions. And then after a week of doing this, increase it just by one minute and read six minutes a day. And after a week of that, increase it a little bit more to seven minutes and incrementally improve upon this every week until at last you reach 10 minutes a day, which I really think is the base minimum. If anyone truly wants to say that they're following Christ, you have to read at a minimum 10 minutes a day of the Bible and don't stop there. Keep going. Try to get to 15 minutes a day. Try to get to 20 minutes a day. Or you could read the Bible 10 minutes a day and then read a devotional book or, um, or a theology book for 10 minutes a day. So that's the fourth thing. We have to meditate and study. The fifth thing is the path as a person. So even though I gave you a little bit of practical advice, I want you to see that all of this guidance, all of these um, principles for reading scripture that we've been studying, and we just looked at four of them, all of them in the end are not enough. They will fall short. And the reason why is because human effort in the end is inconsistent and it's incomplete. I want you to look at, in our our passage to verse 28 and 29. Let me just sort of set this up for you. In verse 27, the people respond to this revelation from God, and they say, we will hear, and we will do it. And in verse 28, it says, And the Lord said to me, that's Moses, I've heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right. In all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always, to fear me, to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. So, how does God respond to the people's you know, resolution here? It's a very interesting emotion from God, is it not? How would you describe it? It's a kind of wistful longing. It's this sadness mixed with regret. Because God knows that this earnest desire to obey God, to keep all the the, the commandments won't last long. And the people will once again fall into sin and idolatry and the word of God will be neglected. I want you to know that the whole point of the Old Testament, the whole point of the Mosaic Covenant, is that good intentions are not enough. That earnest resolutions to obey God, to treasure His word, will fall short Because the human race is fallen. So what's the answer? We need a savior. We need someone to come from the outside to rescue us. When you turn to the pages of the New Testament, in John chapter 14, it's really an amazing passage. Jesus is teaching his disciples in the upper room, and he's talking about the life of God. And the disciples, they're they're moved by this. And one of the disciples say, Lord, how can we know the way? How can we walk on this path that you're describing for us? And in verse 6, Jesus says what has to be one of the most astonishing things that has been ever uttered. He says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's the answer. The path to eternal life is not a set of rules that you have to follow, but it is a person that you have to know and be in relationship with. So that ultimately... The path of righteousness the Bible describes is a person. He's a savior that you follow and put your trust in. And therefore, this walk that Moses is describing here in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is walking with Christ and in him. Listen to Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Do you know Christ? That is the most important question in your life. Do you know him? Do you love him? Are you following him? Will you invite him into your life? And if Christ is in you, then, then you will have the power to obey him. Listen to Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen to Ephesians 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk, walk as children of light. This is the gospel. Jesus is the way. Walk in him. Walk in him in newness of life. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for this aching, beautiful, but also tragic story of Israel at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. And we realize that human effort is not enough even on our best days, even in the, the most, even on a mountaintop experience, which is what Israel literally had, even if we were to have a mountaintop experience, it's not enough. Because the human condition is that we are sinners and fallen because of Adam. Thank you, Lord, for the Savior Jesus Christ. Help us to put our trust in Him, to to believe in him to love him to obey him to follow him no matter where he leads there's no conditions that we place on you all of our life is yours there's no part of our life that we can segment and say no this part is for me all of our life is yours because we are new creation you have renewed us the new covenant You have taken out our heart of stone. You have given us a heart of flesh. And now we can obey because it's not some external law, but it's the Holy Spirit in us. Thank you for the gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.